0: Hey, what's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. Today is day 39. Today, we're going to cover the priestly regulations, and this covers Leviticus chapters 21 through the end of chapter 22. I'm going to read verse one, but what we're to grasp today is what we've constantly been talking about over and over again in Leviticus, and that's holiness. We're we're answering the question that Leviticus has set out to answer. How can sinful man dwell with the holy God? And the answer is Leviticus. He must be holy for God is holy and that's holy in every area of life. And so I think it's so good that we've developed up to this point where now we're talking in a national way, in a corporate way, because we were talking in an individual way. Because during the patriarchs, it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And after Jacob, we created the 12 tribes through the 12 sons. And now we can start talking in the terms of a nation because now that 70 has turned to two to three million people, conservatively estimating, and it's going to get even more complex. We'll start engaging in international politics and dealing with other nations. And so, If we have lost our way up until this point, we need to go back to Genesis and get our bearings and that'll help us to understand what's happening here in Leviticus. So remember the people, now that they are a great nation, they've gotten their purpose in Exodus 19. Now they're getting their language. So here's the language of the priests. We talked a lot about the priests, that the priesthood would fro- flow from the Levites. But one thing we need to mention is that all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. And we'll talk about that even more when we distinguish the three, which is Kohath, Gershon, and Morari. But let's talk more about the qualities of a priest. And so this is what we learn about the priests. In verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron and say to him, No one shall defile himself for a dead person among his people, except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother and his father and his son and his daughter and his brother. Also for his virgin sister who is near to him because she has no husband, for her he may defile himself. So the priest gets strict instructions on how to deal with deaths amongst his relatives. Here's another note in verse 10, it says, the priest who is the highest among his brothers on whose head, the anointing oil has been poured and who has been consecrated to wear the garments shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes, nor shall he approach any dead person or defile himself, even for his father or his mother. And I think we'll find this very interesting. Here's a command that a priest who is consecrated to wear the garments, he should never uncover his head nor tear his clothes. And so this is an order for the high priest. And I want to show you all something very interesting during the time of Jesus. I'm going to read this here in Matthew 26. Look at this at verse 62. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. And I want you to see the irony of what happens during Jesus's trial. They're putting him on trial for blasphemy. But ironically, the high priest commits blasphemy while he's accusing Jesus of blasphemy. Because it says right here in Leviticus that the high priest shouldn't tear his robes. And he does that, accusing Jesus of blasphemy. And I think it's beautiful how God orchestrated that and how that played out in the final days to show you who was truly the innocent one at that time. That The Pharisees and the scribes broke so many laws in order to put Jesus on trial. It's ridiculous. It's dozens of laws they broke of their own policy in the mission to get Jesus to the cross. But back to our text, we notice some things about the priest. God says in verse 13 that he should take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman, or one who is profaned by holotry. These he may not take, but rather he is to marry a virgin of his own people so that he will not profane his offspring among his people. For I am the Lord who sanctifies him. And so God goes in even further and tells Moses saying, speak to Aaron saying, no man of your offspring of your offspring throughout their generations, who has a defect shall approach to offer the food of his God. For no one who has a defect shall approach a blind man or a lame man, or he who has a disfigured face or any deformed limb, or a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand or a hunchback or a dwarf, or one who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scabs, or crushed testicles, no man among the descendants of Aaron, the priest who has a defect, is to come near to offer the Lord's sacrifice by fire. Since he has a defect, he shall not come near to offer the food of his God. He may eat the food of his God, both of the most holy and the holy, but he shall not go into the veil or come near the altar because he has a defect, and so he will not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And so we learned here that not only must the sacrifice be unblemished, also the high priest must be unblemished, which points to the perfect nature of Christ as well, as we see here in the qualifications of a high priest. And so quite naturally, when the New Testament church is birthed, And you see the qualifications of elders and pastors. This is why that list is so thorough, because now we're not looking at physical qualities and it's not typology anymore. It's under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, and they are to have the spiritual qualities of Christ, the character, the ability to teach the sheep and feed them and provide for them and shepherd them and care for them. And God wants to test that first and foremost in the household. Which is why he says, Look at a man's household. If he cannot lead there, he can't lead the church. If he can't distinguish between his two children who stole the cookie out of the cookie jar, he'll never be able to distinguish a decision amongst a hundred sinners who are all at odds and try to lead and unify and galvanize those people and produce unity. You have to learn it at the most basic level at home first, which is why we must have a strong standard for tested and qualified leadership strong biblical leadership must be the model even today as you see back then the standard was very high for the high priest in chapter 22 starting from verse 1 to 16 we get various rules regarding the priests and the chapter closes out starting at verse 17 moving back to the sacrifices that the priests give Let's just grab one here in verse 17. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and to the sons of Israel and say to them, any man of the house of Israel or the aliens in Israel who he presents an offering of freewill offerings, which to present to the Lord for a burnt offering for you to be accepted. It must be a male without defect from the cattle, the sheep or the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it is not accepted for you. When a man offers a sacrifice, a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or a freewill offering. And so now we get language that a peace offering can be used to fulfill a special vow or a freewill offering. So we learn the basis of the peace offering was more of a fellowship offering to restore relationship with man and God. But it also, here we see that it could be used for a special vow or free will offering. And you get some of the same language regarding the priest here for the sacrifice, that it should not be blind or fractured or maimed or running sores or eczema or scabs. It should not be overgrown or stunted in any of its members or crushed, torn or cut. And outclosed by reading some verses regarding the priesthood in Hebrews 4. It says in verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so this verse shows us that the high priest of the Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic high priest, passed into a copy, a shadow of what heaven looks like. But this high priest passed into the heavens, the literal heavens, and because of that, let's hold fast to our confession of him, because when we confess him, not only do we obtain salvation, We have access to grace to come before God on the merit of a high priest who has sympathized with all of our sin struggles and he can provide grace for us. And we can draw near with confidence because we can enter the holies of holies on his merit now. And God accepts all of our prayers in his will as yes and amen because we're coming in the name of Jesus Christ. And I think it's good to have discussion of what it means to come in the name of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you have to stamp every prayer within Jesus' name as if it's this seance or this special incantation in order for God to hear your prayer. What it means is that you're standing on Christ. You're standing on what he did for you, his person and his word, and you're able to access the holies of holies now because you're standing on the shoulders of Christ. So when you're coming in the authority of Christ in your prayers, honestly, you don't have to say in Jesus' name. It's fine to put that at the end. But I think sometimes we get caught up in formulas, as in if we say it a certain way, God will hear it. No, it's not if we say it a certain way, God hears it. It's because of our position that God hears it. Children don't have to remind their parents that they have the right to approach them and ask them for something because they're in that family. They bear that last name. And so you being in Christ, everything you say is in Jesus' name now because you come based on his person and his work and in his merit. And so don't hear me picking on the phrase, but we have to have better theology, knowing that what we have is much more precious than a phrase. We have a person. For in chapter 5, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness, and because of it he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sin. As for the people, so also for himself, and no one takes the honor to himself but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Also, Christ did not glorify himself as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him, the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek." Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. This is why you don't get struck down when you fail to complete your reading in Leviticus, because Jesus never failed to complete his reading in Leviticus. This is why when you fail to pray, God still carries you and takes care of you because Jesus never forgot or failed to pray. Grace covers you, saints, and you're able to lack in your Christian walk because Jesus never lacked in his. And this is not a means for you to cheapen grace and to increase your sins, may it never be. This is a means for you to worship the God who saved you and takes care of you and to strive all the more to be like Him. So let's rejoice in what Christ has done, but also to show Him His preciousness and His worth. Let's finish and know Him through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy so we can see truly how precious our Christ is and not have to hear it from the mouths of someone else trying to explain it to us. May we all know him intimately ourselves. And let's continue to do that as we're almost done with Leviticus. Only three more days left. I'll catch you tomorrow with day 40 as we cover the festivals again in Leviticus 23. Love you guys. Praying for you. Take care.